Here comes the sun. Main FM's Radiothon is commencing on winter solstice when all the days are going to get a little bit longer and a little bit brighter. We're going to be asking you to reach into your pocket and subscribe to your favourite and award-winning community radio station Main FM. We need you like never before. Community radio has never been more important to you. So tune in between the 20th and the 27th of June. Subscribe by ringing 54724376 or simply go into mainfm.net. The Quiet Carriage, 94.9 Main FM show all about books and authors, with your host, Paul J. Laverty, and proudly sponsored by Stoneman's Book Room. All aboard. Welcome to The Quiet Carriage. I hope you're doing all right out there on this Friday. Waking up this morning, hearing our government had doubled the cost of humanities degrees was not how I wanted to start my day. Yep, forget Black Lives Matter, forget housing, forget the environment, forget all the inequalities which persist in our nation. No, let's focus on defunding the arts. I tell you, the revolution sometimes cannot come quickly enough for me. But let's stay positive. And what's more positive than talking about next week's Radiothon, appropriately titled Here Comes the Sun. And that's because it starts tomorrow on the day of the winter solstice. Now, you can subscribe from as little as $25. You can subscribe for as little as $10 if you happen to be a pet or if you're under 12. So for next week's episode, that's the Radiothon episode, I've got local author Kirsten Crowth here talking about her fantastic new book, Almost a Mirror, which seems to be just about everywhere at the moment. It's doing so well for her. And she has very kindly donated five signed copies of the book with thanks also to her publisher, Transit Lounge. And I'm going to give these away at the end of next week's episode to people who subscribe to my show. All you have to do is go to www.mainfm.net, click subscribe and remember and select The Quiet Carriage as your show of choice. Don't forget, you will also be in the running for all the other fabulous prizes we have on offer. There's almost $10,000 of prizes. Uh, Here's just a few of them. Uh, There's a case of wine from Harcourt Valley Vineyards. Um, You can get uh, two tickets to an Animus Gin Blending Masterclass, plus uh, one 700ml bottle of the hugely sought-after Animus Davidsonia Batch 4. I'm not sure what that is, but it does sound mighty fine. There's also a case of wine from Boomtown Wine, uh, sound recordings. They're offering one day, one full day of sound recording plus tape stock. Um, there's Taradale Glamping, two nights glamping on a beautiful property in the heart of the Taradale Bushlands. That does sound very nice. The Theatre Royale are giving away three double passes to a gig of the winner's choice. Taste of the Orient, the restaurant is offering a $200 gift voucher. Richard McLeish Photography, uh, they're offering one full day shooting of an event of the winner's choice. That could be a wedding, birthday party, bar mitzvah, corporate workshop, high tea, pet blessing, anything. And they're just some of the prizes that are on offer. So please go to www.mainfm.net and please dig deep. We're a community station, we're not-for-profit, and we need our listeners to please subscribe and to keep the lights on and to keep shows like mine on the air. Right, well, let's talk about today's show, shall we? It's not often that I focus on a non-fiction author, and I don't think I've ever given an entire episode over to a single author, but I've made an exception for my next guest. He is Dr. Benjamin Hardy. He's an organizational psychologist. He's the best-selling author of his book, Willpower Doesn't Work. From 2015 to 2018, he was, one of, he was the number one writer on the planet on Medium.com. His blogs have been read by over 100 million people. Yeah, that's right, 100 million people. His new book, 
Personality Isn't Permanent came out this week via Penguin Random House. It debunks myths about personality. It explains how personality tests are harmful and and reveals how traumas negatively shape personality. And it discusses how you can reframe these traumas and change your memories. Sounds a bit confusing? Well, it is, but that's why we've got him online. He's been a huge influence on me over the years, so I was very pleased to get to interview him recently on the phone from his home in Orlando, Florida. Hello, Benjamin. Thank you so much for coming aboard the quiet carriage all the way from Orlando, Florida. Happy to be with you, my friend, and uh, excited to chat. Yet, as am I, I'm not, a, I'm not ashamed to admit that you are actually a bit of a hero of mine. Um, your writings, your teachings are probably one of the main reasons that this show actually exists. So it's, um, it's a huge buzz to get you on and to get to interview you. And it's not many authors that get to break my fiction-only rule that I made up myself. <laughs> but Benjamin, you've done it, so... Congratulations on that, but also, above all, congratulations on your book, The Reason That We're Talking To You, Personality Isn't Permanent, out now via Penguin. I enjoyed it immensely. How does it feel to have it out there now in the world? It's awesome. It's awesome. And uh, I'm sure we'll get into this, but actually, uh, since you have read the book, you know that there are sections where I talk about how your past is fiction as is your future. So actually, even though this is a nonfiction book, we actually, uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding, but all, you know, we'll go into that. In. We'll go into that, but you know, it's, it's kind of a, um, it's difficult to say how, how nonfiction any of this actually is. But yeah. anyways, yeah, very happy to be on the show. Grateful that you liked the book and, uh, uh it's, it was a labor of love. Let's just say that. So yeah. my first book, personality isn't permanent or sorry, my first book, willpower doesn't work, yeah. um, came out in 2018, but this book, took at least a year longer to write than right. willpower doesn't work. Um, it broke me down many times. And, you know, as the saying of Elaine de Button goes, if you're not embarrassed by who you were 12 months yeah. ago, you didn't learn enough. Uh, after I finished writing Personalities and Permanent, I went back and I reread willpower doesn't work. And I realized that the person I am now would never have written willpower doesn't work. Not that I don't love it, but I've just become a different person, you yeah. know, like, yeah. um, and so it's fun to go through hard, challenging, creative projects that, that change you and how you work. Yeah, yeah. It resonated with me in so many ways. I mean, as a former teacher specializing um, with kids with behavioral issues, you know, the whole idea that goals shape your identity, not person, not personality, was, was a bit mind-blowing to me. You know, so many kids get written off because of their past. You know, I even think of my wife in school. You know, she tells a story when she was in primary school, um, getting written off by a primary school teacher because of her brothers and their behavior you know, her older brothers before her. So, I mean, have you had much imp uh, feedback from schools who have implemented any of these strategies? Um, I mean, not yet, because as we're talking, you know, the book hasn't spread to the levels it's going to, mm -hmm. but I guarantee, yes. I mean, this book is going to definitely... <laughs> yep. This book's definitely going to get lots of, let's just say, critical feedback, but also it's going to be heavily implemented in different environments. And so... Mm -hmm. um, the answer is not yet, but yes. Yeah, I was thinking will, um, sure. prisons as well. You know, we had Denise what, Jepson. What was your thought for prison? Well, we had, um, I had a, a guest in a couple of weeks ago, Denise Jepson. She runs the Read Aloud Dads program. And I think they have it in the States as well. It's where they go into schools and they record dads reading bedtime stories for their children's for their children. But a lot of the time they're actually teaching literacy to the, these prisoners because they just don't know how to read. And she was commenting how much it can change their future, just having that tool, having that basic tool that we take for granted. And it just, it just made me think in terms of rehabilitation, in terms of reducing the rates of reoffending, I, I think this book would be essential in the prison system. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure you thought about the Andre Norman story about, you know, but, you know, yeah. he went to prison, went to Harvard later, but... Once you educate yourself, you know, and once yeah. you have a clear vision and goal and you can start to build confidence and get support, you stop mm. being someone who wants to be a criminal. <laughs> mm, of course. Yeah. That was one that's, of my... That stops being your goal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was one of my favorite stories actually in the book. There were so many illuminating case studies in it. 
Um, let, let's talk a bit more about it, but what are some of the common myths associated with personality? Um, they're big ones. They're huge ones. So I'll just break them all down really quickly, and then mm-hmm. we can kind of go whatever direction you want to dive into them. But there's a few huge ideas in psychology. Mm-hmm. One is that the past is the greatest predictor of the future. Mm-hmm. And that makes that makes sense for most people. Um, obviously, though, if you're someone who wants to change your life, then you probably don't want your future to look exactly like your past. Um, so personality is defined kind of broadly as a person's consistent attitudes and behaviors over time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what, what, what that insight leads to is a lot of people believe that your personality is innate. It's hardwired. And it's something that's not very flexible. It doesn't change very much. Like mm-hmm. if you're an introvert, for example, you're probably not going to become an extrovert, even if you try. Like yeah. th- this is these are this is not actually fact, but this is just how people view it. Again, yeah. we're talking about the myths. Mm-hmm. Um, and so your personality is generally thought to be who you genuinely and authentically are. It's something that can't really change. And, and because it's who you are, it must be something you must discover. You've mm-hmm. got to figure out who you are um, rather than like decide who you want to be because your personality is ingrained within you, your job is to figure out who that person is. And once you can finally find out who you genuinely are, then you can then go set goals and you can get in relationships and do things that match Mm -hmm. who you are. Um, And so that's kind of, I think, the general way that a lot of people look at personality. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's one of the main reasons why personality tests are so popular is because personality tests are thought of as a way to tell you who you are so that you can get that discovery process right so that then once you know who you are you can then go live the life you were supposed to live mm-hmm. uh, that those are those are all kind of the common views of personality and truth be told they're all very wrong yeah. um, they're not actually grounded in science and they actually lead people to a life of mediocrity <laughs> yes yes how, how can you design then your your future self is it possible Yes. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. No. Um, so I guess just to like to break these myths down a little bit, mm-hmm. it's important to realize that, you know, there's so much research in psychology now at this point that explains that personality does change over time. You know, like who you were in the past is not who you are today and who you're going to be in the future is not who you are today. So like, let's just take you as an example. Mm-hmm. Like, do you think, do you think that you're the exact same person you were 10 years ago? Definitely not. No. Since then, I've, I've moved countries, had got married, had children, so definitely not. So you don't have the exact same preferences, like you don't have the same priorities, the same goals, like even, I mean, I'm sure there's some tendencies maybe that are, are still there, but for the most part, you, you don't see the world the exact same way, you don't, you're not working on the same things? No. <laughs> Surrounded no. by the same <laughs> no, not no I, I, well I mean 10 years is a long time especially if you've gone through all that changed yeah. countries I mean yeah. I'm sure that so much has changed about you and I, and I could agree about myself you know mm-hmm. 10 years ago I wasn't married um, mm-hmm. you know I was in the very beginning stages of going to college uh, like literally was at community college like in my first semester actually 10 uh... years ago like I was in my <laughs> first semester didn't have any like you know now I have a PhD I'm married with five kids and I'm a professional writer you know like all these crazy things and my views are totally different um and I'm quite different 100% and so 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 it's first off crucial to understand that your personality has already changed Mm -hmm. um and that's really what the research shows is, is that the time gap between let's just say when you did take two personality tests if you took a personality test 10 years ago and if you took Mm -hmm. one today your scores would be totally different and so the idea that your personality is unchangeable and that it's hardwired is not, it's not true. It's not useful. Um, and in different situations, you're going to be a different person. You know, context is incredibly important. You change your situation, you move to a different country, you get married. Mm-hmm. Like, even right now with what we're dealing with, the coronavirus, right? Like, mm. the context influences and shapes how you interact with the world. Um, like, I recently wrote an like an email to my email list and I used the word viral in mm-hmm. the email. Um, and this is like, this was in the heat of like, you know, the coronavirus. And I got a few emails back saying you shouldn't use that word, you know, mm-hmm. like you shouldn't say viral right now. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> and I didn't even think about it. But I'm like, all right, that's fine. But that's like, that's like a big evidence that like context matters more than content. Like that word yes. viral has a different meaning in this situation than it would have five weeks ago or 10 weeks ago. Um, 
And so personality is the same way. In different situations, you're going to be different, you know, around different people. Like, that's why they say peer group is so big. So anyways, pulling this together, just like you're not the same person you were 10 years ago, you're Mm -hmm. not going to be the same person in 10 years as you are today. Um, Your future self is going to be different than you are today. Mm-hmm. they're going to be in a different situation. They're going to view the world differently. If you're someone who's actively learning and moving forward in your life, then hopefully your future self sees the world very differently. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, a quote, there's a quote from Stephen Covey. Uh, he said, we don't see the world as it is, but as we are. Mm-hmm. And so when you, 10 years ago, you saw the world as you were. Now you see the world as you are. Mm-hmm. In 10 years from now, you're going to see the world as you'll be. You know, And you're not going to be the same person. You're going to see the world totally different. Mm-hmm. Um, and so because we know that your future self is different, then it's important to realize that your current self isn't the fully formed you. Like the, the Harvard psychologist Daniel Gilbert said, human beings are works in progress that mistakenly think they're finished. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, that's a huge key, is if you think that who you are right now is who you're always going to be, which is what a lot of people think, First off, they're going to downplay and miss all the change that's actually going to happen, and they downplay and miss all the change that could happen if they didn't hold their current identity and views so tightly. So I think that that's kind of the first place to start is realizing your current self is a snapshot, and and it's going to change, and hopefully it does change. And if that's true, then you you don't have to overly own your current self. You don't have to overly think that who I am right now is who I I truly and always am. Yeah. and, you know, that's one of the reasons why labels can be so bad is because they make you think that you are a certain way and that you can't be any other way. And so, yeah, just knowing that first spot yeah. is crucial. I, I find that exciting in a lot of ways. You know, in the next 10 years, I do want to grow. I do want to develop. But there's also things about me that I don't want to change. You know, I don't want to change my my wife, my kids, where I live. Sure. How can, yeah, how yeah, can yeah. I hold on to those things? I mean, you definitely can because when you're when you're imagining and creating your future self, which mm-hmm. is really where you start living intentionally. And by the way, this is the only way to really live authentically is to think about who do you truly want to be, right? Mm-hmm. Who do you want to be? Um, what they say is, is that the number one deathbed regret, and there's, there's a lot mm-hmm. of research behind this, but the number one deathbed regret is that people didn't have the courage to, to be who they wanted to be and live, as a, live the life that they wanted, but instead they... Um, you know, they lived a life that they thought other people expected them to live. Mm-hmm. And so the first key of all of this is defining your future self, defining who your future identity is, what their circumstances are. So my guess is if you're defining your future self and you want to stay in, in your current marriage, but you want it to continue to evolve, mm-hmm. you would also define that. Like, what is your relationship like with your wife so that that's part of your future self? You know, the aspects right. of your present that you want to be in your future, you define those out as who you're planning to be, you know? Um, it is important to know though, like, so I agree with you. I have a wife and I have five kids. Mm-hmm. I plan on them being in my future and I plan on those relationships continuing to grow and expand, mm-hmm. you know, and to, and to become better. Um, and if, and this is actually one of the problems that people face. Like I know a lot of people who, who end up getting, you know, divorced or mm-hmm. like, you know, f- that certain things fall apart yeah. because they were unintentional about where those things were going and they just assumed that things were working out and they weren't. So like, even to s- improve a marriage, you've got to, you got to be creative about it. You got to visualize it. You got to like see it and be intentional about how you want this thing to be. Mm-hmm. Um, there are other things though um, that you have to realize are probably things that are keeping you where you're at, and that your fu- and that that would hold you back from becoming your future self. So, for example, like there are certain things that you might prefer. Mm-hmm. Like you know, personality personality in a lot of ways is preferences and tolerances. So there's certain okay. certain things that you prefer doing and that you tolerate doing that your future self like the ideal version of you or like the person you would want to be, they wouldn't prefer that and they wouldn't tolerate it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like if your future self is someone who's totally healthy and fit, yeah. but you prefer, but you like really enjoy eating like garbage food right now. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like if you're, if, if that, if that future version of you is like really you, then like you would stop preferring that. Like, yes. um, like as an example, like as an example, there's certain things that I just don't, deal with anymore like I won't tolerate it anymore um stuff that I used to be willing to do all the time like even like a year or two years ago that because of either what I've learned or what I've experienced or just because of my new situation with five kids like I just can't do it anymore like I used to have people ask me all the time to write articles for them and I would totally do it but I just can't do it anymore and I won't do it anymore because first off I just don't want to anymore it's not relevant to my goals it's not relevant to my future stuff but also just my situation 
I just don't, it's just yep. not important to me anymore. And so I won't do that anymore. And so like it throws people off because they're like, oh, I thought you used to be like this guy who used to do all this. I'm like, yeah, that's who I used to be, but that's not who I am anymore. Yeah. I don't do that anymore. Yeah. Um, and so there are certain things that you're, and this is where I think it takes some honesty yeah. is in thinking about who your future self is and who you genuinely want to be. You've got to, you've got to be honest mm-hmm. about the aspects of your current self that are genuinely holding you back mm-hmm. and saying, and it's okay to acknowledge these are things that I kind of enjoy doing right now, or they're, they're things that I'm letting happen. I'm tolerating these, but my future self won't, mm-hmm. you know? And so really and, framing that out. Yeah, and learning to say no as well, I imagine is a big component of that as well. Yeah. You've got to say, you've got to say yeah. no in the future and yeah. hopefully closer to the present to things that you've been saying yes to in the past. had a roof above me, always paid the rent, and I never set foot inside a tent, I could build a fire to save my life, I lied about being the outdoor time. Slept out underneath the stars The closest that I came to that Was one time my car Broke down for an hour In the suburbs night I lied about being The outdoor type That was the Lemonheads there with their track, Outdoor Type. And now we'll return to my interview with US psychologist, Dr. Benjamin Hardy. Uh, Can we touch upon trauma? Because we know that trauma plays a part in everyone's personality. Um, Can you transform this trauma? Of course. No, this is is one of the most crucial aspects of all this. So So Dr. Gabor Mate, he's a really important doctor. Mm-hmm. I think he's a psychiatrist, but he said that personality is generally a coping mechanism to mm-hmm. trauma. You know, you're who you are right now. Often, unless you've resolved that trauma intentionally, your personality, who you are showing up as is kind of a coping mechanism to dealing with it or to not dealing with it and to avoiding it. And so, um, yeah, trauma, trauma leads to what's called a frozen personality. It, it traps you in the past. It mm-hmm. stops you from evolving and developing emotionally, and it, it keeps you stuck in the past. It's one of the reasons why people live in repetitive cycles. It's one of the reasons why personality can be consistent over mm-hmm. time. Um, and so, like, as an example, and this is one I share in the book, but I really love it, like the idea of math trauma. Like, math trauma is basically, like, so a lot of people, a lot of kids, you know, in junior high and high school and yeah. stuff like that, they have math trauma. And basically it's the belief that you can't do math. It's the belief yes. you can't learn it. Like trauma destroys your imagination and your flexibility to learn. Yeah. It just keeps, it, it, it leads you to being emotionally rigid. And when something happens to you, it could be, it could be that you failed a math test or it could be something much bigger, like someone, you know, abused you or hurt you. Yeah. But when you have a bad experience, 
you're going to have an initial emotional reaction. So there are initial emotions or primary emotions, and then there are secondary emotions. And the goal of the secondary emotion is for you to reframe or think about or or re-decide how you want to feel about what happened. But mm-hmm. a lot of people don't do that. What happens for most people and with traumas is you, you have a bad experience and you have your initial reaction, which is terrible. You know, if someone hurts you or yeah. something like that, um, it's, it's not fun. It feels painful. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the problem is, is that you don't, you don't resolve it. Yeah. Like Peter Levine, Peter Levine, and I share this in the book and I love it, but Peter Levine said, trauma isn't what happens to you. It's what you hold inside in the absence of an empathetic witness. Right. So like it's, it's what you hold inside and then you don't deal with it. You suppress it, you ignore it. And then, you know, as the quote goes, you're as sick as your secrets. You know, mm-hmm. that's a statement from Alcoholics Anonymous, but if you don't resolve it, then you kept it secret, which often happens with like sexual abuse and things like that. Like you don't, and then, and then you develop all these strange coping mechanisms to deal with the emotional trauma and you don't actually solve it. Um, and so this trauma obviously leads people down, down lower paths of possibilities. Yes. Um, they, they don't, they, it kills their confidence. It kills their imagination. It kills their flexibility. They become rigid. And in order to actually move forward and to learn and to grow and to build confidence, you have to become increasingly flexible. You've mm-hmm. got to be flexible in your identity so that you can see yourself in new ways. You've got to be flexible in dealing with new situations. Um, I really like the quote, you know, if nothing is certain, then everything is possible. You know, but if you're if you're if you're dealing with trauma, then you avoid uncertainty. You really keep yourself in your safe zones, and you you don't put yourself out there. And so, obviously, keys to changing this. And I will just say, it's abundantly clear, like with the science and neuroscience, and and just really in general, and with identity, and with trauma, is that your past can and should change. It's flexible. Um, the goal of the past is actually that it becomes information that you use not emotion that's using you. So like you want your past to be information and the only way for it to be information is to go back and to think about it, to learn about it, um, you know, to expose yourself to it. Like the more and more you think about it or learn about it and get different perspectives. So this could be in journaling. This could be in therapy. This could be with friends. Uh, it could be with a mentor. Like I had a lot of great leaders that helped me reframe my past, you know, and even Mm -hmm. I've gone back and talked to my dad, you know, and my dad was, you know, he had a huge role in my past, you know, he yeah. was a drug addict and it was a tough time, but I've gone back and, you know, gotten better perspectives, gotten better context, right? You, yeah. you, you change the context, you change the content. And so it's important to know that your memories will change um, and that you can update your memories so that they can be viewed from a higher level or a more positive frame. And you do that by asking yourself good questions yeah. uh, and by opening yourself up, like asking yourself, you know, what are different ways of looking at this? Mm-hmm. Or like, how would my future self view this? Or like, um, what are the what is the good that came from this? Why is my life, why could my life be better? Just getting different perspectives, but also learning more about the situation. Also realizing, as we've talked about, mm-hmm. that yeah. your former self, the former, the former version of you, whatever went through that trauma is not you today. And, mm-hmm. and so whatever they were doing, they were dealing with it the best they could. And, and they had a hard time and you're now a different person and you can deal with it differently today. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can, you can, you can let go of any pain from your former self and you can say, you know, you can have empathy towards them and realize like they did their best, um, rather than, you know, and, and just better understanding the situation. Yes. Yes. A lot of honesty is required, oh. which, which <laughs> can be hard. <laughs> yeah. Dan Sullivan said all progress starts by telling the truth. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that if you're unwilling to, to deal with this stuff, yeah. you have to just realize that your future self is incredibly limited if you don't resolve your former traumas. Like, you will, trauma, again, destroys confidence and imagination. And confidence and imagination are literally required, as is psychological flexibility, to moving forward, to learning, to creating goals. So, like, if you don't resolve these things... Mm-hmm. Um, and reframe them so that the past is something that's positive, so that even your worst experiences can be something that you can learn from and use to live a better life in the future. Yes. Um, so that you can all that you can make your future bigger and better than your past, and not repeat it. Yep. Um, and that you're not defined by the past, but that you can be defined by your goals, by who you want to be, by who you genuinely seek to be. But also, you can become increasingly mature about how you view and describe the past, and you can let things go faster. Um. So it's it's just crucial to understand that if you're not willing to deal with these things, 
then you've fundamentally limited your life and your future. And it's not because of, you know, trauma often leads to rigid black and white thinking. Mm -hmm. It's not because this is just who you are or what happened. It's because you're not being, you're not willing to change it and refine how you're thinking about it. Like you actually, as a person don't have innate, like, you know, you don't have, um, like a cap on your potential. Your potential Mm -hmm. changes all the time based on your situation. Like, we had three foster kids, you know, mm-hmm. we've now adopted them, but their potential in one situation is different from their potential in a different situation, yes. right? Yeah. With their parents, they had very limited potential. You give them to a new environment, they have different potential. Mm-hmm. Like, so the context determines the options and the potential. Um, but so, so does the mindset. Like you have different potential with a better mindset than you do with a worse mindset. So it's not like you have a fixed potential. Yes. Your potential is very f- flexible. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to talk a little bit about your process. I know you do a bit of public speaking, but is it writing primarily that drives you? Is that what makes you tick? Um, I don't know if writing makes me tick as much as, I mean, I do love writing. I, mm-hmm. I, I think I, I prefer, I don't, I don't know if I'd say I prefer writing over speaking, but mm-hmm. I, I, I do when it comes to identity as a chosen concept, mm-hmm. I think I really, I really kind of chose in my mind for a really long time, the idea of being a writer. Um, I did that really about 10 or 12 years ago. I really thought I wanted to be a writer. And so that, that was such a big part of the identity that was driving me in it, And I chose, uh, that continues to expand and I actually kind of see myself in other ways now. Um, so I think, it, I think it's really not always true that writing is the thing that makes me tick, but for a long time it was. And, and it still is in some degrees, but now other things make me tick. Uh, but I, I do love writing. I think that there's it's, it's really fun to, to watch things evolve and change. I will say my writing has changed a lot. Like when I was writing a lot of blog posts, and I'm going to get back to blogging, I very much would like, I had a different process for doing that than I do now. Like yeah. writing books is a lot more it's a lot heavier of a process in writing a blog post because you've got to like think a lot harder and like really expand it out. And, and you usually need a lot more feedback and a lot more yeah. collaboration. Whereas with blog posts, you can kind of just take one and bang it out and you can kind of do it on your own. But like with books, you really need a lot of help. Yeah. Um, and so it's a totally different process. Um, it's a lot harder. You get, you got, you get less dopamine up front because it's really, you get a lot of dopamine just mm-hmm. by pushing publish all the time yeah. and getting page views yeah. on a blog post. Whereas with a book, you know, the dopamine is like so far into the future. (laughs) Um, you know, I mean, obviously you get to, you get to enjoy the process. Um, but like you also, there's a lot more down days too. Like when you're doing bigger and bigger projects, uh, it's a lot harder and more humbling. And sometimes you need encouragement and, um, you know, sometimes you want to give up on it because you just like the problems are a lot harder to solve. And so my, my process has shifted a lot just based on kind of the goals I'm pursuing. Yeah, right. It's an interesting way of looking at it. What what's your what's your system like? I mean, do you have a regular editor you use? Do you have beta readers, an agent, manager, that sort of thing? I mean, is is there a team behind you? Oh, enormously. Yeah. And the more, you know, the so I'm writing a book right now mm-hmm. actually, which happy to send you and happy to talk about later. So, I don't know if you know who Dan Sullivan is. No, I don't. No. That's okay. He's he's a very famous entrepreneurial coach. Mm-hmm. Um but anyways, he and I are actually co-authoring a book. It's called Who Not How. And it, okay. it's all about getting people to help you rather than doing everything yourself. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I do have, I obviously have an agent. I have a publisher. Um, personality isn't permanent. It's being published with Penguin Random House. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I do. I mean, even the person who scheduled this podcast with you was not me. You know, that was Connie yes. on my team. And, um, and I, I do have a team. But as far as, yeah, as far as the process, um, you know, uh, I don't know what specifically you want to go into. I mean, I'd be happy to tell you how I like, you know, find ideas or decide what to write about or even how I get myself into the frame of mind to write. What process do you actually want to go into? Um, do you want to talk about like how we publish books or how I actually get into the writing frame of mind? Yeah, um, I, I guess. I talk about anything and everything you want. Oh, we could talk about this all night, couldn't we? I guess, yeah. well, let's take yeah. your, your book now, Personality Isn't Permanent. Um, yes. coming up with just that the the theme the title for instance is that yes, something you yes, workshop yes. with a, with a team or is it yeah no no that one was one that I came up with on my own um, mm-hmm. so I'll, so back in um, like fall of 2000 so they, like mm-hmm. August ish you know 
uh, it was actually summer summer it was the summer of 2018 mm-hmm. um i was thinking about what's the next book i want to write you know so this is a, this was a few months after willpower doesn't work came out and by the way willpower doesn't work was not the title that i came up with right. um i actually was originally going to call that book the proximity effect which is all about kind of like what's in proximity to you you know yes. but um Willpower Doesn't Work was a much better title, but Personalities and Permanent was the one that came to me when I was thinking about the next book I want to do. And and the reason I decided to write this book was I read the book The Body Keeps the Score, um, which is by Besser Vandelkolk. And one of the things he talks about is obviously that trauma shapes your personality and mm-hmm. trauma freezes your personality. And um, I, I, I just I had learned all through my PhD that personality tests like Myers and Briggs were were junk science and mm-hmm. that you really shouldn't take them seriously. And and, and uh, I, you know, I, I really began thinking about personality, and I, and there was a few quotes in mind that I was thinking about, and so I just thought, you know, I want to, I want to explain personality and explain to people why it, why it's not permanent, and so mm-hmm. that title was my own title um, that I came up with when I sold the book, and then, you know, I wasn't sure exactly what the book would be. It actually. You you would you would laugh given that you've read the book, but I mean there was probably fifty different versions of the table of contents, you know, yeah. and I had to get lots of advice. Like for a long time, I was like, should this book be like twenty short chapters or fifty short chapters, or yeah. should it be like it ended up being six really long chapters? And so like, you know, like that that process of building it took a lot of help. Yeah. Well, I don't care anymore well, who was right, who was wrong, who was left. That was Richmond Fontaine there with their track, Post a Wire. And now we'll return to the final part of my interview with U.S. psychologist, Dr. Benjamin Hardy. We've spoke a bit about goals. What are your goals moving ahead immediately Mm -hmm. and also also 10 years' time? Where, Where do you see yourself? Yeah. So just to kind of break down the process and then I'll share where I'm, where I'm planning to go. Mm-hmm. When it comes to deciding a goal, you first want to start with identity and that's that, that's your future self, right? Mm-hmm. You really, before you even start with goals, you really start with what, do you, who do you want to be? Like, who is the person you want to be and what are your, what's your situation? What are you focused on? What are you doing? Mm-hmm. Um, once you've like, for, you know, how much money are you making? Who are you working with or who, you know, what's your family like? Like, like really defining out the situation and circumstances of your future self, because that, that gives you not only like. A concept of who you are because that's that's that really should be the starting point of all goals and, and pursuits um, but it also clarifies your current identity it clarifies who you are now so that you can begin acting towards that more authentic version of you um, so once you've done that then you begin to think about the goals that would get you there mm-hmm. um, that would allow you to become that future self mm-hmm. so 
the person that I'm striving to be kind of in this next evolution of myself, um, I'm planning on kind of going, I wouldn't say going back, um, but when I was 20 years old, I served a church mission and Mm -hmm. it really changed my life. Um, and I, I had dealt with a lot of a tough childhood and that experience really changed my life and really opened me up. And, and, uh, one of the things I think about when it comes to purpose is, and I love this question, it comes from Dan Sullivan actually, but he says, who do you want to be a hero to? Mm-hmm. Like, who do you want to be a hero to? Is a really good way of defining the people you serve. And I really love young missionaries. Like, I just love people who are out there kind of trying to do great work. And so actually, right. my future self is my future self is someone who's still writing these mm-hmm. types of popular press books, but I'm actually going to move quite far away from the entrepreneurial world that I'm in. I'm very deep into the entrepreneurial world, very deep into collaboration projects. Yes. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to leave all of that in the next two or three years. I'll keep writing big major books, but I'm going to maybe more, I'm going to more fully focus probably like 80% of my working wow. time and energy towards uh, leading and serving like missionaries um, wow. and kind of more of a spiritual focus. Um, and so in order to get there, and, and this is, this would, the implications of this would actually, it, it may even require my family to move from, Orlando, as yeah. an example, yeah, and it, it it would change a lot about my life. Um, basically, to dedicate myself to that for the foreseeable future. But that's really what I want to be doing. I mean, wow. that's 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 what really excites me. I mean, even everything I'm doing now is what my former self wanted to be doing. Yeah. You know, like when I was a first year graduate student, I really wanted to be a professional author. I wanted to be making a great mm. income. I wanted to have the freedom to write books and to be with a major publisher and to have conversations like this. And I, I set the goals and went through the process of becoming that person. Um, now at this stage with where I'm at, I'm like, I really want to focus more on, on kind of more spiritual things. And and so I'm going to be definitely doing that almost all the time. Uh, I will say I'll be still very focused on my family, um, you know, very focused on, you know, learning. And, you know, there's a lot of things about my yeah. current self that are going to be there. But in order to actually get there. Uh, in order to be be that person, I essentially have to be in a financial position to retire in the next three or four years. Yes. Um, and and so the major goal to enable me to be able to do that with mm-hmm. my life is actually to sell ten million copies of Personalities Impermanent. To be fully honest with you, right. like I don't yeah I don't know how I'm going to do that, but like that's what I'm planning to do. So like when I when I decide I want to become a professional writer, yeah, my. I, you, you kind of have to do some education because you you have to like you have to when you when you really frame out your future self. Mm-hmm. When and again, this was me as a first year graduate student, like making zero money and just like never written a blog post, but I want to be a professional writer. Like you, you kind of have to get yourself. You have to know enough about where you're trying to go so that you can actually set intelligent goals. You know, and so like for me, I decided I wanted to get a six figure book deal with one of the major publishers. Mm-hmm. Like that that became my goal even before I started writing because I knew that that goal would allow me to be who I wanted to be. And really the goal shapes the process. The goal determines how you go about living your day-to-day life. Um, it, it was interesting. There was a, there was an interview recently about LeBron James. Yeah. Um, and I know that, I know this is in the U S but LeBron's pretty famous even over there probably. Uh, right. Pretty famous here too. Yeah. 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 I mean, he's pretty global, but one of the, one of the pieces, so right now, obviously the NBA got shut down because of the coronavirus, mm-hmm. but, um, he was interviewed recently and, you know, asked if he was trying to become the MVP this year, like the most valuable player. Mm-hmm. And he said, and he said, he said that that has never been his goal to be the MVP. He said that his goal has always been to be the best in the world, like literally. And he's very honest about that. He's like, I want to, I want to be the, and, and I'm not saying that this is a good or a bad goal. I'm just explaining how this goal determines how LeBron James does things. Mm-hmm. He said, he said, I've always just wanted to be the best that's ever played the game. He said, and that's the thing that shaped how I've done things for the last 17 years or more. And he said, sometimes that's actually led me to getting the MVP. Sometimes just by pursuing this true goal of mine, I've actually gotten the MVP, but the MVP was never actually what I was going for. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of players who their actual goal is to become the MVP that year. And so if that's your goal that year, then you're going to really focus that year on trying to get specific statistics and things like that. Whereas Mm -hmm. LeBron because his goal is not that he's going to do things a little differently. Um, and so it's just important to realize that the things, the process that you go through is really based on what you're ultimately trying to accomplish. And, and so when you're trying to copy someone else's process, 
it may or may not get you where you're trying to go because their process is based on where they're trying to go. Um, but I decided, you know, so with willpower doesn't work. I, my goal was to hit the New York times bestseller list, Mm -hmm. which I didn't do, but I I realized now that that was the wrong goal. Um, and with this new goal, which is to sell 10 million books, it's really to, it's really to position myself as a writer and as a thinker, but it's also to put myself in a financial situation where essentially I can retire and in two or three years from now, dedicate almost all of my energy to where my future self is. Wow. And, and and I'll just tell you, because I'm so freaking excited and committed about that future self, because it resonates so deeply with my identity Mm -hmm. and I'm going to do it. Like I'm going to figure out how to do it. Like it's the, it's the whole idea that when the why is strong enough, you'll figure out how, um, like I know that it's possible to sell 10 million books. I have no clue how to actually do it. It's so far above and beyond my current (laughs) situation, my current capability. Yeah. Uh, it's 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 a, it, it's actually an absurd goal, but I, I'm fundamentally committed to it and excited about it, and we'll figure out how to do it because I'm so committed to my future self and situation. Yeah, well, please let me know when you figure out how to sell 10 million books because I would love to know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I, I've, I've my seen... process will be my process will be fundamentally different than yours. I'll tell you that. I, yeah. I know people who have sold tens of millions of books, and I can learn from them. I can definitely learn from them because once you know what you want, then you can become the student, you know, and you can really right. figure out how to do it. But at the same time, I'll teach you what I learned, but then you're gonna have to figure it out on yeah. your own. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. I, I've seen you as a bit of a mentor through the years, but but something some things of yours I just can't do. The the cold showers. Um, here, living here in the gold fields in winter, I just, I just have not been able to do that. And the, the 5am starts as well. Now I have tried, but no matter how much caffeine, I just, the brain just struggles until the kids are tucked up in bed at night. I just can't get it moving at all. Um, and also five kids. I, I mean, I marvel at your output. You know, there were times back then where you were, you were almost putting out articles every day. Um, and I have two and I, I feel like I'm clinging on some days, you know, between doing this radio show and my job commitments and my creative commitments. How I've always wanted to ask you, how, how do you, how do you juggle it with having five kids? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 totally. And, uh, between you and me, I'm pretty sure the wife's pregnant with the sixth. Wow. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that, that, that will probably be our last, just to be honest with you. Yeah. But, um, congratulations. Oh yeah, thank you, man. Thank you. Um, so, by the way, just for your information, now that I'm getting a so I'm launching two books this year, and, mm-hmm. and I'm almost done with the second. And one and in about a week from when we're having this conversation, I'm going to get crazy back into blogging. So you're actually going to see right. a lot of fresh new blogs coming in 2020. I haven't really blogged much since 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, as far as how to juggle it, um, yeah, I mean, so. When I really started blogging and writing um, in 2018 or 2015, mm-hmm. this was in the first year of my PhD program. My wife was in the first year of her her master's program, and we had just gotten three foster kids, and so it was crazy. And and I really did write a ton of stuff. I think I wrote probably 100 articles that year, and really that's when yeah. things started to kick off. But I, I would say I'm actually accomplishing more now than I did then. Now that I have five kids. But I will tell you, there's there's a few re- there's a few things as far as juggling it um, that have really made a big difference in allowing me to have five kids and also to have like a life um, and to be able to move forward aggressively towards big goals. Um, I would say first off, like my wife, like the person I married, it would be impossible without her. Mm-hmm. She's a total rock star, and and we really have a shared vision. We have totally different roles to accomplish that vision, like. You know, like my, you know, and we've really helped each other be in those roles. Like she very much wanted to be a mom mm-hmm. and like basically like run the house, you know? And like, so when I go home, like I'm in her domain in a lot of ways, you know what I mean? And like, I've got to like be in the role there, but like a big part, but like she's very much supportive, for example, of me waking up at 5 a.m. And, and working early in the morning. Yeah. So that then I can, you know, so she rocks out the morning with the kids. Like, and I just don't even have to think about that or worry about it. Like, she's totally on board with that because we're both committed to the same future. And she's like, all right, if that's what's best for you, like, I'll take the morning, you know. And, like, so we, we're totally on a team. And when you're on a team, you'll do things for each other. You'll, you'll be a hero for each other, mm-hmm. you know. But then for me, it's like, well, I need to be done by three max. 
because that's when the kids get out of school so that I can be super present with them and like help with dinner Mm -hmm. and like help get them to bed. And so like, we just, we, we, we set our lives up to help each other. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, and we, uh, we do like I, for an example, like it was not my interest to become a foster parent of three kids. Mm -hmm. Like that was totally her interest, but it was relevant to my goals. Like I wanted to build a family with her. And so I was okay doing it, but it's not what I would have done. But be, but she wanted to do it, and because we had a shared purpose, and we we're on a team, like I'm like, yeah, let's do that. If that's what you want to do, we're doing it, you know. And yeah. so like, you're willing to do things for each other because you're on the same team. So like, she really enables a lot. Yeah. But as far as like the other things, as far as like you know, writing hundreds of blog posts or writing a few books a year, or this year, to be honest with you, I'm doing probably 500 podcasts. You know, like it's yeah. gonna be crazy. Um, like that yeah. kind of creative output. Um, there's a few things that I do that are part of how I do that. One, I, I read and study a lot. Um, two, I do have a deep spiritual side of me. So, like, you know, prayer and things like that are a big part of my life. And, mm-hmm. like, I actually pray for help, like, to be honest with you, like, to do amazing things that I couldn't do on my own. Mm-hmm. But I, And so spirituality is a part of not only my creative process but my learning process. Like, I learn yeah. things for the purpose of creating. Um, and then I just make time for it. I, I find that my best creative stuff happens – at night or sorry in the morning mm-hmm. and so like i just try to create before like 8 a.m like and if and if you do that one of the reasons why it's so crucial mm-hmm. is that the longer you're awake the more foggy you're gonna get because you're gonna have more inputs coming in you're gonna mm-hmm. you're gonna be opening your email you're gonna be seeing social media you're gonna get phone calls and texts like all the, the more things that enter your brain yeah. in a given day the more muddled your thinking becomes. That's why I really think that creativity in the morning is so key, especially if you, you know, you block yourself off. And if you have a system for getting yourself into a flow state, because you can save your brain and, and, and allow yourself a clean slate so that you can focus on what you want. And then once I've created something, then I allow myself to let the floodgates in as far as the inputs, because then it doesn't really matter. I've already built the confidence because I've already pushed publish or I've already done my work. So I have more confidence, but I've also, done it with a free mind or a clear mind um mm-hmm. and so i've just i've always been big on finishing or, or you know done is better than perfect like right. you know like just putting imperfect work out there like one of my favorite quotes is um you know a painting is never finished it, on, it only ends in interesting places yeah that's yep. at the beginning of personalities and permanent but that's how i feel about both of these books like willpower doesn't work it's never going to be finished. It just ended in an interesting place. If yeah. I was still writing it right now, it would not be the same book. The same is true of personality. Actually, the you know what you read, mm-hmm. uh, if I was still writing personality, actually, even now, only like a few months after I finished writing it, there's things I would totally change. There's wish, there's things I wish were in there and things I wish weren't, you know? Yeah. And like, but at some point, a painting is never finished. It just ends. And so like, it's a, and so I think with blog posts, it's really easy, you know, or like a, you know, if you're a songwriter, like writing a song, like it's okay to just put out a lot of, imperfect products knowing that none of them will ever be done and done is better than perfect and so just throw it out there and get used to throwing out better and better work and Mm -hmm. just being open to failing and so those are some of the things that that i do you know and i very much value i very much value getting things done like it's it feels really good to push publish on a blog post like you got to give yourself timelines like you've got to just put stuff out there and you got to get better at putting more and more stuff out there um and you get better at it as you you do and so it's just crucial yeah to put stuff out there not hold on to things too long yeah that's very true benjamin hardy it's been such a buzz getting to interview you and you have been most worthy of breaking my fiction only rule um best of luck with your new book personality isn't permanent it's out now via penguin random house and i urge all listeners to get their hands on a copy and to go to medium.com check out some of your work there and your website which is benjaminhardy.com and subscribe to your fantastic email list i've really found it invaluable throughout the years it would be wonderful to see you down under at some point as well if you ever get the chance can you leave us with a song choice Yes, absolutely. I'm looking this up right now to make sure I get the right title. Um, right. First off, I just want to say this has been an incredible conversation. Um, so this song is from the movie Gattaca. Have you ever seen the movie Gattaca? No, I haven't. I've heard of it. 
it's brilliant. Um, the, the, the soundtrack is so good. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, let's see here. So the, so the song is called The Morrow, M-O-R-R-O, and it's from Michael Nyman. So uh, yes. uh, N-Y, N-Y-M-A-N. Michael Nyman, the song is called The Morrow. Um, but there's, there's, you know, the whole soundtrack is amazing, like symphonic. You know, there's a lot of symphonies, and it's just just really beautiful kind of um, ambient, you know, music for creativity. Brilliant. Well, Benjamin, here's your song, and thank you once again for speaking to us on The Quiet Carriage. Thanks, brother. That was Michael Nyman there with The Morrow. And that is all we have time for today on The Quiet Carriage. A big thank you to my guest, Benjamin Harvey. His book, Personality Isn't Permanent, is out now via Penguin Random House. Remember, you can hear all episodes of The Quiet Carriage on Spotify and all good podcast platforms. I'm across all the socials. Next week is Radiothon Week, and our focus is Kirsten Crowth and her fabulous new book, Almost a Mirror. If you subscribe to The Quiet Carriage before next Friday, you will go into the draw to win one of five signed copies, with thanks there to Kirsten and her publisher, Transit Lounge. You can subscribe from as little as $25. Just go to www.mainfm.net, click on subscribe, and remember and put down The Quiet Carriage as your show of choice. And remember, you also will still be in the draw for all those other great prizes. Until next week, until Radiothon, that's all for me. You've been listening to The Quiet Carriage. Keep reading. 
Harcourt Valley Vineyards is now bringing their award-winning wines, ginger beer and raspberry mead to your door, offering free delivery in central Victoria and Melbourne. Their lockdown wine box special includes a combination of Riesling, Grenache Rosé, Barb Shiraz, Cab Sav and Mount Camel Shiraz. Check out their Facebook page or Instagram for details or visit harcourtvalley.com.au. Harcourt Valley Vineyards is a full-bodied sponsor of Main FM. Knocked on your door. Lifehouse are designers of simple, serene buildings. We craft spaces and forms that are sympathetic to the environment in which we live and to the needs of our clients. They connect with the eye, mind and soul. Our firm of designers focus on the best energy-efficient outcomes, producing beautiful, unique buildings. Contact us to discuss your project. You can find us at lifehousedesign.com.au Lifehouse Design, creating smaller footprints, award-winning passive solar design and a proud supporter of Main FM.